Our podcast touches on tough real-world issues like suicide, depression, and mental illness. If you're struggling with these issues, you can find support by texting PODCAST to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Or visit www.jedfoundation.org to learn about getting help in your community. Reach out to a friend or family member. We urge you to get the help you need. And we've provided a list of resources in our show notes as well. If you're a minor, we strongly encourage you to listen to our podcast with a trusted adult. And just a quick warning, there is some swearing in this episode. Welcome to Could Be Better, TVH, where we talk about all the things that, quite honestly, could be so much better. And I'm your host, Stacey London. How often do you see a problem in the world and think, hmm, that could be better, and then move on with your day? How often do you have a brilliant idea that could actually change people's lives, but don't act on it? Although, how many of us actually have ideas like that? Today, we're talking to two guests who see things that could be better in the world and find the most radical solution to those problems. They sprint towards the people in pain and say, hi, I'm here to help, and we're going to do things like they've never been done before. Today, we're talking to Nancy Lublin and Bob Philbin, and they're the co-founders of Crisis Text Line, a tech company that provides free 24-7 support by a text message. And they're here today to get to the heart of how they've transformed crisis services. Hello. How are you? Nice to have you on the show. Thanks. Thank you. How are you? I'm well, thank you. TBH? TBH, <laughs> yes. It, actually, not could be better. I'm, I'm, I'm better. Good. Um, but let's start with, uh, you know, the obvious question. Uh, why did you guys start Crisis Text Line? And Nancy, why don't you answer that first? We were both working at a different company at the time. We were at DoSomething.org, which is the largest organization for young people and social change. And um, it's so big because Do Something uses text to communicate with its members. So every week they send out text messages to like 6 million kids. I mean, it's huge. And uh, the uptake rates are great. The open rates are great. But there's always... Can you, just for our listeners, yeah. uptake rates... Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So You're like, talking language right, that some right. people don't know. So people open the text messages... Text has a 97% open rate. Like people open, open their, right. they open their text. As opposed to emails. Right. And, right. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I never look at my emails. Even my snail mail. I, I mean, like even my mail that comes through the post. I don't snail open. Snail mail. Right, I exactly. mean, I'm like, who even <laughs> yeah. does snail mail? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, and you don't answer your phone really anymore Ever. because it's now it's always like a telemarketer. Some, a telemarketer. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so text is awesome. And that's why Do Something so big and uh, Do Something gets young people to do uh, more social change campaigns, more community activism, things something. like that. Yeah, something. But every time Do Something sends out a message, some kids respond having nothing to do with that message, but personal things about being bullied, about a friend who they're worried about because they smoke pot too much or whatever, all kinds of things. So we would handle that like any customer service would, um, kindly. And, oh, here's a hotline, try that. Or maybe you should talk to your mom or talk to your school principal. And then we got a message that was just like a lot darker. <clears throat> and uh, it said, he won't stop raping me. It's my dad. He told me not to tell anyone. And the letters R-U-T for are you there? 
And we send back a phone number for the premier hotline, Rain, on um, Rape and Incest. And uh, came back and said, have you heard back from her? We, we never heard back from that texter. And that person had been a member of Do Something, and we never heard from them again. And uh, look, we don't know if her father saw the message. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a burner phone, right? Like maybe it just changed phones. I don't know if they're dead or alive. And uh, I always use a female pronoun when telling this story. And it was pointed out to me a couple of years ago. I don't know that that person was female identified. Yeah. And I've taken the number, frankly, and tried to call and text it over the years and never heard back myself. So um, it was haunting, really. So about two weeks, only two weeks after getting those messages, we looked at each other and we were like, if people are going to text this kind of stuff, and if they want help by text, there needs to be a hotline by text. Yeah. And um, the truth is it took like two years to get it going and really to launch because this stuff is hard, but that's the origin story. And I always tell it because I hope that that person is out there somewhere and hears and knows that their bravery and their pain um, inspired this. Which is incredible. And also, I mean, genius because the success rate of getting somebody to respond to a text works, especially with younger people, right? I mean, forget even younger people. All people respond to text. It's immediate. You don't have to go to your email to open it. It comes directly to you. So I want to say what makes you different from other crisis lines, but I think that's sort of inherent in the idea that it's text. But you know what? But there's two other things that make us really different. You talked about the data. The other one is the crisis counselors. So there's there's really three things that make us unique. One is, yeah, it's all by text. Mm. So that's... That's funky. That's new. Um, The other one is the data, and Bob can explain that better than anybody. But the third thing is who's handling the messages. So it's a distributed network of volunteers. It's kind of like Lyft for volunteerism. Mm. So you apply online, you go through a background check, and about a 30-hour training, only about 30% of people pass. So it is easier to get into most colleges and universities in America than it is to become a crisis counselor with us. So that's interesting because my original assumption was that you were taking counselors from, right. you know, suicide hotlines, yeah. people who were used to be, you know, were on the phone, right? We were taking calls from people who were already at crisis centers. So we started that way. Right. We did. We started in partnership. We hired actually first three crisis centers and then six, and we got to, we were growing so quickly. 11 crisis centers, and we looked at the data and it was very disparate. They all had different policies and procedures and phone isn't like text. Mm. And so some of the things that you would say by phone, you might not say or do the same way by text. Mm. And so the satisfaction ratings from our texters weren't as high as we thought they could be. Mm. So we we looked at the data, we scraped the best practices. I'm getting to data. Okay. Don't, don't you <laughs> yeah. worry about it. He's getting itchy right here. Yeah. Yeah, I know. No, and I, I going to emerge in a second. Questions. Yeah. And then we trained our own cohort and we saw that they had better performance than the 11 crisis centers we were paying. And so we pivoted in 2015 to completely volunteer crisis counselors. Now we have paid full-time staff who watch every conversation and these supervisors are amazing. They all have a master's degree in a relevant field. So it's not like our volunteers are out there on their own. Yeah. But we have found that since we pivoted to those volunteers, our satisfaction ratings went up 
20 percentage points mm-hmm. and have never dipped below that. So well, it's also it's probably awesome. because these volunteers are volunteers out of passion, they, right? I mean, they want to be here. They're empathy MVPs. They yes. are. Empathy MVPs. They are. They're this like army of love out there. They're incredible. That's amazing. Now, the data is what I want to get to because I remember, Nancy, when you first started telling me about this, one of the things that became abundantly clear is exactly what you said before, is that a lot of people will text what they won't say. Yes. And yeah. right. And that when they text it, those words can in fact become proprietary. In fact, once you have those words, you can start to look at what they mean, what they say repeatedly, and that becomes the data. Am I right? So uh, just a quick stat there is yeah. two thirds of our texters are mentioning something that they've never shared with anyone else. So wow. to your point of texting, opening doors for people, a large part is the trust that people have, especially young people in that medium. And the fact that nobody, we have texters who tell us, you know, I do this because or I reached out because nobody can hear what I'm saying. My crying doesn't come through. It's a medium that is trustworthy to them. Yeah. And that, that opens doors. So we think not only are we helping people move out of crisis, but we're also in some ways a gateway for many people to mental health or crisis care for the first time. And I mean, that also has something to do with technology, right? I mean, we didn't always have this ability to text. So this is a relatively new form of communication. And so I would guess that that's something that young people really do appreciate, right? This is, you're you're speaking to them on their terms. We're speaking to them on their terms. They're defining what crisis is for them. And I think that's really powerful for the data too. So when we were talking about the words that they use, one of the things that excited me so much about Crisis Tax Line is the opportunity to bring a different perspective through the data to the state of mental health in the U.S. So just to stop you right yeah. there, Bob, I just want to go back a bit to your background. Yeah. How did you get so interested in this kind of data or data in general? Because, you know, before this kind of data applied to mental health, I mean, you know, data yawn. <laughs> so so no explain to me how oh data God. got this interesting. <laughs> and then and then you can tell her how you feel about fashion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So I had the, I have the opposite sort of life philosophy there where data was always the thing that I uh, was excited about. So and when fashion? I you know, yeah, fashion not so Yawn. much. Okay, yeah. well, I mean we you know, we can spar over that. But you know, no, I mean, how did you come to this? Like what were you always looking at data in terms of um, um, uh, human sciences, uh, you know, how did you get here? Yeah. So when I was f- like, my first thought when you come up with, you know, your dream job as a five-year-old, yeah. my first thought was paleontologist. Me, I want- me too. Oh, I want <laughs> oh, to be a gemologist. Okay. So, all right. All right. So we started <laughs> the ground. same and then we yeah. diverged right, cool. over time. Okay. I just wanted sparkly. You just wanted bone. <laughs> so, um, so I've always had this passion for science. I think it evolved over time. Uh, behavioral psychology mm-hmm. and statistics were the focus of my work in school. But the opportunity to work at a nonprofit as a data scientist, I will say, is incredibly rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just those types of positions don't exist or haven't. And so when I saw the opportunity to combine my passion for social change and bring science to the table, I was in. Even though I will say this is my first time being involved at the beginning of a startup. So as the founder, Nancy's a a serial entrepreneur. I don't know if that's the the way you would describe it, but I, yeah. she's been through I this eat before. I a lot of cereal. You, you do eat a lot of cereal. I can I call her a cereal genius. So, so when we because I go to the apple store a lot for help. Yeah. 
Absolutely. (laughs) At the bar while eating Frosted Flakes. Exactly. So when we were talking about the idea originally, the runway, the chance, the room we had to succeed was relatively short. I'll say like the funding, she said two years to get that first uh, round of funding to set up the program. Even though the idea felt obvious in some ways to Mm. bring text, Mm. it was hard to get funding for it. And so Mm. the runway was around, I want to say, six months. That's what I told you. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe even shorter. But how did she explain it to you? It was a risk. It was a risk, I'm sure. But when she explained it to you, what was the conception for you? You were going to take text you were going to take words. And what were you going to do with this data? So it was scary. and But why it was so compelling was to be the first data and tech-led organization in the crisis space. Right. And also one of the first in the nonprofit space in general. So the opportunity not only to impact this issue, but to shape how social impact organizations think about creating change. That the data in itself, in this case, could change lives was incredibly compelling. It was worth the risk. I I always thought of it as having data science would mean you'd have like better goals and better forecasting to hit those goals. But Bob has taught me that's not actually, that's just really good, you know, forecasting and goal setting. That's not actually data. He describes it as us as a dot organism. So dot org, an organism. And that data is like your body having nerve endings everywhere and you touch a stove and your hand automatically recoils or your body knows when to speed up your breathing or slow it down or when you're tired. And that a true dot organism, a company that really uses data, some of the things you do, you do automatically, like breathe or recoil without even thinking. And some of it you plan, like I need to wake up and go for a run tomorrow morning. But it's all based on nerve endings everywhere, collect storing and analyzing in real time. That is a metaphor? That's a, I think a we're a metaphor yeah. and analogy. I think I missed that day I, of school. I, 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 but not, yes. I don't remember metaphor. that day yeah. of school but either yes. because I personally was thinking of Moneyball. Right. I, I hope you under, okay. I hope yeah, everybody yeah. knows that movie. Good one. But that is when, you know, they took data to create baseball teams, you know, to take players with like certain averages to create better baseball teams. And out of that, even though it didn't work for the Oakland A's as well as they hoped, the um, Boston Red Sox, uh, two years later, after that data-driven information was used, won the World Series. If I have those teams correctly, it's amazing because I'm a fashion person. But, but also, look what it's done to fashion. Yes. I mean, look at fast fashion. Fast fashion, you can now go into an H&M and get like the color that was on the runway recently that tracked best. You can get stuff all fast. Analytics. That's all about analytics and algorithms. All right. of it. I mean, look at what Instagram is doing. Your phone is listening to you. But, you know, That's I mean, creepy. you know, it's a little scary. <laughs> right. But but there's here, some ways in which data can be, you know, can be terrifying. That, yeah. Yeah. But but in this case, it's 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 data for it's good. Data for good. Data and, for good. And I love the organization organism analogy. Um, I just want to take a quick break so we can learn a little bit more about our sponsors. We'll be right back to this conversation. Crisis Text Line provides free confidential support via text message 24-7. If you need support, text PODCAST to 741-741. And if you want to help people work through the challenges in life that could be better, TBH, visit crisistextline.org slash volunteer to apply to become a crisis counselor. JED is the leading national nonprofit working to protect emotional health and prevent suicide for teens and young adults across the country. 
For more information, go to jedfoundation.org. So in practical terms, let's just talk about what that means. When somebody texts you, and I remember, Nancy, this is a conversation, again, we've had not in this interview, but I'm bringing it back to that, that there are certain words that you associate with certain traumatic issues and that you have been able to track that so that you can train a counselor to get to an issue faster. So the way that I look at that is sort of like, you know, I've been in therapy a long time. Sometimes talk therapy, you just talk and talk and talk and you don't get anywhere. But if you have specific words that already a counselor knows without the person texting you saying exactly what the problem is, it can help you zero in on that problem. Is that what the data helps you do? That is that's one of the first applications of the data that we had. And what I love, I'm just going to step one level higher, nerd out for a second, then come back to this. Nerd out, nerd out. So if you look at traditional data in the crisis space, it comes from national organizations like the National Institutes of Health, the Center for Disease Control. And what they do is they collect survey data. These are written by scientists. They ask questions like, were you suicidal in the last year? The limitation of that is like, one, you don't want to tell necessarily a scientist whether or not you were suicidal in the last year. The other problem is it's the words of the scientists, and then you're just checking yes or no. So where's your voice in that data? The great thing about our data is that it starts with the voice of the texter, of the user. And they say whatever they want to say. It's in the moment of crisis. And then we just naturally figure out how to triage people or prioritize people based on their words. I wish everybody could be here in the studio and see how excited Bob is right now. <laughs> okay, continue. Yeah. So the brilliant thing is like we're allowing the user to use their words to like, you know, as you were saying, when you just need to get things off your chest where you're in therapy or in this crisis conversation. And so it's unintuitive phrases like I can't go on or um, and they're actually words that are even more powerful than when they share the word suicide as an indicator that they are at risk of making an attempt. Yes. So one of those words is, uh, for example, bridge. So if somebody uses the word bridge, it's four times as likely to make an attempt in the next 24 to 48 hours than somebody who uses the word suicide. Um, there's wow. also a, an emoji, the crying face emoji. That texter is 11 times as likely to make an attempt in the next 24 to 48 hours than the word suicide. And then there's a set of words at the top of the list that's more powerful than any other. And it's something that almost every family or household has in the home, which is things like Advil, over-the-counter drugs. And those are the one of the most powerful groups of word as a predictor of suicidal risk. So the brilliant thing about starting with the texter's words is it gives a much richer and more nuanced and, and more powerful way of understanding risk and what our texters are experiencing. And what we've done is not just trained the crisis counselors about this, but even better, we've taken out the human element and we've trained algorithms. So that now if you text in using words that the algorithm identifies as high risk, we make you number one in the queue. So we get to you faster. So it's automated. We don't use robots to ever talk to you. So you're always talking to a human when you text in a crisis text line, but we do use robots to identify who's at high risk and place them in the queue. Wow. It's, I think of it this way, a calculator, you and I, Stacey could do long division Mm. mm, ish, right? (laughs) But, but we are faster and more accurate with a calculator. 
That's how we use algorithms. It's augmented to make the humans faster and more accurate, not to replace us. Wow. Okay. So, you know, we are in a real moment of crisis in the world, right? I mean, this is a tough, tough time. What does make pain better? I mean, you have created a community where people can just dial six numbers and get a human, you know, an empathy MVP. But what does make it better? What do what do you say to somebody who is using words like Advil or a crying emoji? How do we, just as people, start to make this problem better? Not all of us can be these crisis counselors, but how do you work with these crisis counselors really to solve some of these problems or at least become not a Band-Aid over a bullet hole, but do some more significant work than that? And then how do we translate that into, you know, a bigger solution? We say we're in a growth industry. Pain. Mm -hmm. Pain is a growth industry right now, sadly. So, yeah, we see it growing. We see it getting younger. Right now, 53% of our texters are under the age of 17. Ay, ay. Yeah, young. Um, and yet I think there's hope. We do see, even though everybody texting us is deeply unhappy, we have right now an 87% satisfaction rating from our texters. If I had 100 people here and asked them who wants a free ice cream cone, I'm not sure 87 of them would say yes. Mm. So our, our satisfaction rating means our crisis counselors are really doing something right. There are some things that we've seen that are effective. There are certain words that work better than others, like the word strong in the face of anxiety is a magic word. What makes you feel strong? So it's not what I would think intuitively, what makes you feel calm or what makes you, it's what makes you feel strong. It gives you more agency. Mm. So that's, that's a beautiful word in the face of anxiety. Um, there are self-care habits and things that we see people use as their go-to a lot of music with young people. So is that what, um, counselors suggest? Are they recommendations? We're asking, we're You're helping. asking. It's collaborative problem solving right. and active mm -hmm. listening. Mm -hmm. But I will put out there that just some words and some music or a hot shower is not going to do it for everyone. We also believe in therapy. We believe that doctors matter. And in 81% of our conversations, we are explicitly having a conversation about when's the last time you saw your doctor? Right. Um, or have you considered therapy? Um, so we do think of ourselves all also as a gateway. And like Bob said, two thirds of the people, this is the first time they've opened up to any human being. And so we're glad that that experience is so positive because our hope is that we are just step one. And after us, you're talking to your mom or you're really opening up and trusting your psychologist or mm. your coach at school, that we are just showing you that your pain is valid and you matter and helping you find the words and make a plan to take the next step to take care of yourself. I'm, I'm just curious, are there other words that really sure. resonate? You want all our tricks, Stace? I, well, it's not that I want all the tricks. I want I people- I want to share them. Yeah. I want to, the reason that I'm asking you to share them is because, you know, for those of us who want to go no, out, and, everybody should have this. Yeah, yeah everybody should yes. have them. I mean, oh, yeah. we, we, and then come we, take our training. Right, exactly. Yeah. We're not we're not hoarding we these learnings. Right, we're happy exactly. to share them. We can't, yeah. and because we can't all be <laughs> empathy MVPs, but we certainly can go out in the world and and if we see somebody who yeah. we can encourage, what are those words? What you, are those words favorite, that we can what's say? What's your favorite learning, Bob? Well, uh, 
my my favorite learning is always very high level. So I, I so well, I'm, of I'm course, gonna, you're gonna, a science data nerd. <laughs> I know who wanted so to I'm be a paleontologist. Spe- I'll leave the specific words to you, Nancy. But uh, I will say the fact that uh, people without a background in mental health yeah. can come in and learn the skills of active listening mm-hmm. and collaborative problem solving, I think, is a game changer for. We hear time and time again that people are using these skills in their own lives, Mm. for their family, Mm. for the people at work, in their community. One of the most common things texters say about why conversations are helpful is that somebody was there to listen to me. And that sounds easy and it is a skill that everybody can learn, but it requires a little bit of nuance on how you do that. You have to let the texter lead. You have to let the person lead. You have to listen in an empathetic way. But these skills are learnable for anyone and that you can support people in your life. Right. I hear you, but I'm not listening. Those are two different yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Right. Yes. I, yes. Okay. I mean, it's changed how I parent, right? I have two teenagers, and so I use different words. I've taken almost 3,000 conversations as a crisis counselor. So I am, I'm like in there. And the training and being a crisis counselor has absolutely changed how I parent. So here's an example. I do not ever ask questions anymore that start with the word why. Why did you do this? Or why didn't you put your dishes in the sink? Or why did you put on deodorant this morning? Which I could say often. But um, (laughs) um, instead, it's like, um, when did you put on deodorant? So like, when questions are much better, what, how, why questions just make someone feel defensive. And they're kind of condescending. They're not effective. Um, So we teach our crisis counselors to avoid why questions. That was a good learning. I think that's so interesting. If I might interject here with just my past experience, um, what I found very interesting when working on what not to wear is that why was actually a really important question and did put people on the defensive. But if I kept asking why, like five times, like, why did you wear that skirt? Well, it's the only one that I had, but why did you wear it three days in a row? Well, because, you know, I couldn't find anything else in my closet. But why, when you had three other skirts, like clearly- Oh, you were trying to put them on the spot because you wanted to get rid of that skirt. To get to an actual answer. Interesting. I found that if you say why five times, you usually wind up with a truthful answer. But you knew you wanted to purge the skirt. Absolutely. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to light it on fire. So I guess maybe it was sort yeah. of a different, different, yeah, yeah. different intention. Different, but yeah. different intention. So but, maybe, but a, maybe not comparable. So if you want to light someone right. or something on fire, go with a why question because they will get, come to that. But to your point, they will come to the, by the end of that, they, will, come, they will stop making excuses. Yeah, they probably said, the, Stacy, let's get rid of this skirt. And then you were like, what a yes, great idea. What yeah, a great exactly. idea. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, how, how easy that was. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. It, so it is interesting. So I do love the idea of active listening and collaborative problem solving. Those, I think, are two things really to take away that all of us can learn. That doesn't mean we can just decide we're going to learn it, that maybe we need to... Here's another trick on how to do that. Here's another one that okay. I've learned. So one of the ways to do active listening when you're reflecting back to someone um, is to add a spice to the adjective. So, yeah. Paprika? Well, I'm allergic, so don't go there. But yes, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, <laughs> um, you've seen it. Um, I have. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you've witnessed my capsaicin allergy. It's not pretty. So it's is Bob. Yeah, anyway, so um, if someone says, I had a really bad day, you say to them, tell me what made your day so awful. So like bad becomes awful. You just like spice it a little bit and not too much. 
because then you're like, like tragic mocking them. would be too much. Right. Then you're mocking them. Right. But if you, it's enough to be like, I hear you and I'm Empath- with you empathy. in this pain. You keep going back to empathy. Yeah. That's a. It turns that's- out empathy's awesome. Yeah. It, tur- <laughs> it tur- tur- <laughs> turns out. Oh my gosh. It's the best. And it's a, it's a skill. It's something yes. you practice. We see our counselors. I'll, I'll say we did a, a research project with um, a team at Cornell University uh, that's in their data science program. And they found that counselors, go through our training and then develop their skills and their own approach, their own voice in how to present empathy about over the first 50 hours. Mm -hmm. So there's a maturity curve where yeah, the first time you try to do this active listening and collaborative problem solving, it's it's hard. It's a skill to learn, but don't let that stop you, right? It's going to be hard, but you can make it up that maturity curve. Uh, Nancy said the average satisfaction rating is 87% for taxers. Counselors who make it up that curve get up to 90% or even higher. It's, so it's, it's, a, it's like a learning to dress yourself. Yeah. You get better? You get better better. over time. You get better over time. Okay. Anyway, strong. I'm going to, you know. Strong. Yeah. Let's Mm. end strong. What a great word. With that word. I wanted to end with that word. You said strong is a really um, important word when it comes to anxiety, not calm. That people like agency. Yeah. So what are some of the other words that have really had a strong effect on the people who've texted? Brave. Smart. Yeah. Proud. Their capabilities. Yeah. So it's reminding people who feel helpless. That they're stronger than they that know. They're, that they're stronger than they know. Even the music yeah. choices, when you say like, what can you do, you know, tonight, right now to help yourself feel stronger? And they'll say, listen to music. And then you'll say, what kind of music? And like, they're not saying chill spa music. That's, no. That's, no. It's like 21 Pilots. BTS, Beyonce. It's like name your genre, and it's the empowering. I know Beyonce out okay. of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know Twenty One Pilots. Is is BTS that K-pop? Yeah, mm-hmm. they're a boy band. They right? are, but their music. A lot of it is about self care and mental health and doing right by yourself. That's great. You're gonna love BTS. I know you you like my pants today, and so that was your gift to me. My gift to you is BTS. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm going to definitely like download some of that. Yeah. I just have to learn how to work my new wireless earphones. <laughs> Earpods. Okay. I don't know what they're called. Steps, yeah. Steps, <laughs> exactly. It's a learning curve. Yeah. Anyway, um, it was wonderful to talk to both of you. I can't congratulate you enough on Crisis Text Line. I feel so honored to know both of you and to know about the work that you're doing. And I couldn't be more honored to be hosting this podcast because I think we're doing something great here. And I think that the more information we get out about Crisis Text Line, about the Jed Foundation, the more people we can help get through some tough times. 100%. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thanks for listening to Could Be Better, TBH. Nancy and Bob are the kind of people who remind us that we all have tools at our fingertips to do good in the world. Sometimes it just takes reimagining how we use them. Six and a half years after founding Crisis Text Line, they've processed over 130 million messages from people in crisis. And this is just the beginning. Before we go, please do us a favor and subscribe to our show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you go to get podcasts. While you're there, please rate us and give us a review. It'll help more people learn about the show. 
On Instagram, you can find us at Crisis Text Line, at Jed Foundation, and at Stacey London Real. Crisis Text Line and the Jed Foundation produced the show with help from Human Group Media. That's all, guys. We'll see you on the next episode of Could Be Better, TBH. TBH.